Imagine if you could overhear private, unfiltered conversations between the world's most influential and inspirational women. Now you can. Welcome to Leadership Global, where you'll hear from inspiring leaders who will help you define your vision, grow your leadership, expand your influence, and increase your impact to leave a lasting legacy. Hello, everyone, and welcome to this week's episode of Lead Hership Global, a program for and about unstoppable women stepping into courage and bold leadership. Today, we are so lucky to be able to welcome Sara Kumalo. She is a keynote speaker, a best-selling author, a transformational coach, a mountaineer, and the first Black African woman to summit Mount Everest. You know, we all face challenges and adversity. Everyone will experience twists and turns from everyday challenges to truly traumatic events. People generally adapt well over time to life-changing situations and stressful events, in part thanks to resilience. So while challenges, failures, and adverse events are certainly painful, and can be really difficult to move through, they don't have to determine the outcome of your life. There are many aspects of your life that you have the ability to control, to modify, and to grow with. That's the role of resilience. Becoming more resilient not only helps you get through difficult circumstances, it also empowers you to grow and to even improve. Today, you're going to hear from Sara Kumlalo. She is going to tell you her absolutely incredible inspirational story, which redefines common perceptions about what women are capable of doing and achieving. In her fascinating memoir, My Journey to the Top of the World, Sara shares not only her incredible mountaineering feats, but also the lessons she learned about life, about perseverance, and about failing forward. Now, before we get started, let me tell you just a little bit about Sara. She is an award-winning mountaineer who provides world-class transformational coaching to entrepreneurs, executives, business professionals, and sales teams all over the world. As an experienced business executive, she has a solid track record in some of South Africa's leading financial institutions as both an e-commerce and a loyalty specialist. Now listen to this. In 2019, on her fourth attempt, Sara summited Mount Everest, becoming the first Black African woman to summit Mount Everest a demonstration of her resilience, regardless of her starting point and her past unsuccessful attempts. Sara uses a combination of mountaineering triumphs and her ability to enable individuals and teams to identify their personal and their business goals to help leaders and their teams explore and unleash their full potential to achieve ambitious goals. She's the founder of Summits with a Purpose, an initiative that has helped raise funds and built physical and digital libraries in disadvantaged African schools. She believes that literacy and education has the power to change the narrative 
for the next generation. I could not be more proud and more honored and more excited to welcome Sara. Sara, thank you so much for joining us today. Thank you. Thank you for having me. That's that's a brilliant uh, introduction. Uh, but thank you, Linda. I've been looking forward to coming to your platform and to chat to your group of amazing women that I'm sure I'll learn so much from. Oh, thank you so much. Now, tell us a little bit about your journey. What led you to have such passion around this idea of exploration, courage, bravery, resilience? What led you to that path? I always say I probably am an accidental mountaineer. Um, so I had Kilimanjaro, which is the highest peak in uh, Africa, on my bucket list, like most people have. Like, oh, I want to do that, you know. Um, and and in 2012, after I lost my older sister about two years before, I uh, decided that I was going to finally climb uh, Mount Kilimanjaro. But it all started with her really uh, dying unexpectedly. And I received this call while I was at work, quite late in the evening, I was still working. And uh, I started questioning whether she had lived her purpose. You know, we were raised by a single mother, seven girls, um, supported by grandparents who were missionaries. And my grandfather always used to say, if you don't live a life of service, that is a life wasted. But as a young kid, you don't really understand that. You know, I mean, he was always preaching. Um, but in that moment, I started questioning my life. Am I living a life of service? I was successful based on what the world around me saw. I had a family, I had an executive job, I had a car, I had a house, but it just didn't feel like it was enough. You know, and I went back to my mother who really raised us in a very patriarchal environment that always said to her, Helen, which is her name, try again because you need a boy. The boy will look after you. And she tried six times at last she got seven girls, <laughs> you know, and she, she would always come and say, you are enough. Don't ever let anybody tell you that there's stuff that you can or cannot do. Only you can stop you. And I started introspecting and I discovered that despite what I thought the day before was success, I really wasn't because I wasn't living a life of service and I wasn't reaching for the sky, which was my mother's uh, you know, favorite saying, which she still says up to now, the sky is the limit. I didn't feel like that. So I quit my job. I uh, lost a lot of shares, um, which, which I had in, in terms of the portfolio, but it felt right. I, I went to work in the post office, which was part of the government, and we were going to build a bank for the people. So if you understand the South African history, um, Blacks were really not part of the active economy. And, and we were going to help people understand wealth, and I was going to be part of this, and I thought that was service. I didn't really last long there. I moved after 11 months uh, for, for different reasons. And I found myself in an organization that encouraged employees to adopt um, charities, whether it's animals that you're passionate about. And, and I was part of a group that adopted a home that looks after street kids. And every month would either bring them to the office to do interview etiquette, the ones that are leaving high school, um, and, and along the way, we, we grew attached to these kids because once a month, we would ask for contributions around the office and take them out with my family and everybody else would bring their kids or their, their partners 
and would take these kids so they knew us. But every month as months went on, if you go around the office, they know you're coming to ask for money. They pretend to be on the phone, <laughs> you know, working because there is donor fatigue. People are tired of giving and giving. So I came up with an idea when the guy said, we're climbing Kili. I said, it's on my bucket list. I want to come with you. Then I said, wait a minute. Why don't we use it to raise money for kids heaven? This is the home. And we'll, we'll, we're not going to be begging. We'll be selling the experience, the photos to people that may never go, but or maybe will go after us and they'll give us money in exchange. We opened a give and get account. We raised enough money to build an outdoor gym with about 200,000 rands. And uh, we converted a room into a library and, and a study because they didn't have one. They did all their homework and assignments on a dining table. So if people were eating, they had to wait until they finished. And, and something happened, Linda. Although my summit happened on Kili, when we came back to donate these things, one of the kids in the home came to me and said, do you really come from the township? So the township, just to give a little bit of a history in, in, in South Africa, that's where black people stayed in the townships and white people stayed in the suburbs. So the townships are generally overcrowded, no very good service and, and so forth, not the good side of town. And, and I looked at her and I laughed because we always joke, do black people swim? Because I thought she was joking. And she said, no. She says, people like us don't do things like this. And she was serious. I looked at her and I suddenly took myself to growing up watching cartoons, you know, Wonder Woman, Superman, She-Ra. I don't know if you remember those, <laughs> probably giving up my age. Um, they were epic. You know, they were flying around, they didn't talk like me, no one around me flew, but I always thought they were heroes and they were saving the world, but I couldn't be them. That feeling just came back. I came home as a mother of two and I wondered if I was doing enough to show my children, I've got two boys, that help comes from within. It doesn't matter what they look like, where they are at, what the world says of them, they too can step on top of the world. So I made a commitment to myself that I'll climb the seven highest peaks on the seven continents around the world, but use my experience to raise money for education because I believe it is the equalizer. If you, if you look at the, um, the UN, this talks about Africa having the youngest population in the world. How do we make sure that they are the leaders that the world needs tomorrow? How do we make sure that they are ready to make a difference, to add value, and ensure that there's a better world for our great-grandchildren. And, and that's where it started. I started climbing and I haven't looked back. I've built over 15 libraries and I'm still going. Um, you know, I'm not only the first on Everest I did before COVID, I skied to the South Pole. I'm doing what is called the Explorer Grand Slam. Uh, and I feel blessed to have been able to do this um, and, and the lessons that I've learned and, and the idea that I've been able to change people's perception of what women can and cannot do, what white people can do and black people. I mean, if you look at Everest, it's white male rich. That's what it is, but it's no longer like that. It's about, is this something that you want? How hard, how, why do you wanna do it? Understanding why and going for it. Oh my gosh, I love that, Sarah. Thank you so much for giving us a glimpse into what fueled your passion. I, it's just a beautiful story. 
Now you talk about the Explore Grand Slam, which is just, uh, it's just so inspirational. Can you tell us a little bit about your goal to climb the seven highest peaks, what the Explorer Grand Slam is, and maybe some of the setbacks that you may have experienced along this journey of climbing the seven highest peaks in the world? Yeah. So, um, wow, it, it's been an interesting journey um, from, from Kilimanjaro to, to where I am today. A few setbacks. You know that Everest is not cheap. It's an average uh, 60,000 US dollars. Um, and I'm ending in rands, which, is, which makes it even more crazy. Um, the first thing is deciding to go. I made a decision. This is my holiday. I had to, first of all, figure out why it's important for me to do it, but also how I was going to do it. And I discovered that people do ask for funding and sponsorship. Over time, I wrote over 200 proposals asking for funding. So it ranged from silence, people don't respond, to uh, we don't have budget, to what makes you think you can, who is the man that's going with you, um, you know, from all sorts of corners. And that changed my perception or, or my added to a reason why I needed to do it. Because Apart from being told no, being told no one like me has done it, being told who's the man taking me and, and finding that at Everest Base Camp as you go up, there's a lot of testosterone and people that think if they see you on the trail, you must be going to the Everest Base Camp. There you'll be going further than that. You know, that's for them. Um, and initially it gave me an imposter syndrome, like I didn't belong. And I acted differently. I tried to prove to them that I belonged. And over time, after 2014, when we no one could climb Everest because 16 Shapers died, I discovered that I needed to actually climb like a girl. You know, climb my own pace. I trained alone. I have a plan. I must believe in the plan and actually not care about who thinks what, what they're doing, because that's their plan. And, and this is why over time I've, I've changed my perception on who I am, who other people are, what they're capable of. When I started my website used to say, I'm just an ordinary African woman trying to reach extraordinary heights. Scrap that. I am an extraordinary, uniquely extraordinary African woman. You know, And being ordinary is a choice. It's when we try and be like other people, copy them, keeping up with the Joneses, that we lose our unique extraordinariness because we are all made for a purpose and a reason for the right time. Even if it's the COVID time, we're here not only to succeed, but to thrive through this. So anyway, 2014, I got to Everest, um, as I said, very nervous, uh, was made to feel unwelcome in more ways than one. Um, and unfortunately, on the third day, uh, while at every space camp, a big Sirac fell and killed 16 shapers. It was then that I had to ask myself, why am I here? You know, there was also a little bit of um, survivor's guilt. Did they die because I wanted to climb? Um, and I went to people that made me feel unwelcome, who were more experienced to say, oh, so what do we do? And I realized they were just as scared as I was. 
you know. And 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 it, it somebody sent me a message to say, figure out what you need to learn from that experience, and that will guide you in terms of how you move forward. And I really believe that's that's what failing forward is about. It's not about life is going to be smooth sailing. It's about we're going to have bumps. What are we going to learn from those bumps? How are we going to ensure that we are a lot more cleverer, strategic, in order to not only succeed, but thrive as we move forward? It's about not focusing on the negative. They died, yes, it was their time, but it's not mine. How am I going to be deliberate with every moment that I've been spared, every moment that I still have? Because we are all going to die, right, at some point. And the, the, the point is, uh, the question is not, are we going to or are we not? The question is, what are we doing with moments that we are alive? You know, and, and, and that made me go back. Um, you know, that first year we raised, well, I raised enough money to feed over 60,000 children at schools. So the idea was we feed them at school, forces them to come to school and get an education. Um, so that was brilliant. I went back in 2015. 2015, so 2014, by the way, the mountain was closed. Everybody was asked to go home. So 2015, I went back. Um, and unfortunately, there was a big earthquake that killed over 9,000 people in Nepal. I was between camp one and two during that, uh, that incident. The, the biggest lesson for me during 2015 is leadership. You know, when the world is shaking, literally the glacier was shaking beneath us. And we were questioning whether my shaper was like, we need to jump onto the same side because we're hooked together. If we jumped on opposite sides, the crevasse can you know, pull us in. The person who falls in will pull the other person in, which was crazy because he had 22 years experience, my shaper, Nawang. And I remember looking at his feet and thinking, me and my few years experience, let me just watch. And I watched his feet and a few minutes later, it stopped. They say it's less than two minutes, but it felt like five minutes. And as it stopped, he looks at me and he says, we are all right. Then we, we're both confused because we didn't know it was an earthquake. So we're looking around, we're surrounded by Everest, Nunte, and Lotse, the mountains. That earthquake, I think the magnitude was about 8.3, shook those mountains and they started avalanching down towards us in the Western Kum. And Nawang immediately started praying, oh, mani pemeum, this is a Tibetan prayer. I remember looking at him and thinking, he looks scared. He's praying to a God that I was introduced to at base camp two days before. There's no way that God is saving me, like really, you know? And, and, and it sounds like a funny joke, but for me, I took a leadership learning from that. You know, and, and if we look at now, there's COVID, the world is shaking around us. How are we showing up as leaders in our homes, in our communities, in our businesses? You know, is everybody else that we are leading actually seeing us as Nawang was saying, let's jump and they're jumping onto the same side. If they fell, they fell quickly, they get up and go. Or are we scared and not, uh, articulating the strategy and the plan clearly so that teams are going that way and you're going that way. Because if his prayer was saying, let's go to Everest, I was like, Jesus, Lord, Lord say, because that's what I knew, you know? And the mountain once again was closer. It, it, it was a bit crazy. And, and I praise 
God that I was alive. I was spared for a reason. You know, I came home to people saying, you have tried, this is not for us, don't go back. And all these instances, um, incidences and, um, and occurrences started putting doubt in my family. Should you be doing this really? Like, why are you risking your life? And which is why I say people think, um, you know, this is a solo sport. It's actually a family sport because I know my boys are more worried about me on the mountain than I am because I can see what's happening. I'm managing, you know, um, incidences, but they don't know. They're waiting for me to tell them. They're panicking. They know people have died on that mountain. So it's, it's just a few things that you learn. Also, I also realized over time that my training from the first uh, attempt um, wasn't enough. People that were doing a lot more running, a lot more cycling, were having a better time on the mountain. So I incorporated that. I started running, I started cycling. And again, 2015, the mountain was closed. Um, I came home, 2016, I couldn't afford it. I did say I was writing all these letters. Um, then my plan was I save. So 2016, I was saving. And unfortunately on the 8th of August, I um, fell off my mountain bike during a race. Um, and I was in a coma for almost three weeks. I woke up, didn't know where I was, cracked my head quite badly. Um, I, didn't, I didn't really, initially I was confused when I discovered what had happened and look at myself in the face, I'm cracked. I'm, it was just crazy. Um, you know, I didn't think I would ever go back to Everest. It didn't come to my mind at all. Um, but I had started running. So I had a Soweto Marathon entry, which is like the Boston Marathon. So we have our own Soweto Marathon. And I went to the race thinking I'll just do half the marathon, not the full because I hadn't trained. I was in hospital. Um, and I got there and I found the guys doing 42, which is the full marathon, excited, singing. I'm like, I'm just going to do it. And I ran and I finished the marathon. It was a Sunday. On the Monday, I was at the hospital. I said, doctor, if I could run 42 kilometers, surely I can still climb Everest. <laughs> the poor man probably just thought, I'm not going to argue with this one. And I found myself back on Everest in 2017, 99 meters from the top. The winds just turned on us. Um, and I lost um, consciousness in the death zone um, as we were coming down. So the death zone is between Camp 4 and the summit. Uh, this is where if anything happens to you, really, you know, they're not obligated to come and pick you up. Um, and this was because there was something wrong with the supply of my oxygen. So I was climbing with supplemental oxygen. And my Sherpa was in, in a bad shape. So he left me there, went to his tent. Um, and later on, he got other Sherpas. They came and picked me up. This is a lot more hearsay because I was unconscious. We got to camp four. My tent, uh, or our tent, because there was three of us sharing, had been blown off by the winds. The winds were that bad. So sleeping bag, everything was gone. Um, and they left me there. And uh, he went, he took a makeshift tent, put me there, and he went to sleep uh, with other shapers. In the morning, they ca really came to pick up a dead body because I, in the night, I would get out of, in, in, I would be unconscious, then conscious, but I would be so confused about where I am. In the morning, as the sun was rising, these shepherds come and with a stretcher. And as they touch me, I'm like, oh, Lakpa. Lakpa. 
And he says, you are alive. I'm thinking, of course I'm alive, but I'm hungry. <laughs> but they had changed my oxygen tank um, because I had bought additional oxygen. So I remember waking up from that tent and looking up at Everest so close and yet so far. For the first time, I was shattered. I wondered if all those people that said that I couldn't make it were, were right. And I was just being stubborn being there. I was so defeated and I didn't think I would ever come back. And I, I came home and um, in 2018, I didn't tell anybody, but I continued training. 2018, I was sitting at home and my youngest son comes to me and says, mom, when are you going back to Everest? Not are you going back, but when are you going back? Because to him, I don't give up. When things, when he plays soccer and they don't win, I tell him to go back, figure it out. You know, So for him, I must be going. So I said to him, 2020, but I was really just getting rid of him. I never wrote any more letters after that uh, proposals. I just thought if they didn't believe in me when everything was fine, I have you know, fallen in the death zone, no one would actually sponsor me. And 2019, um, the guy that actually first told me no black African woman had summited Everest because I didn't know that, passed away three weeks before I went to Everest. And I decided um, that it was time because why would I wait for 2020? You know, in hindsight with COVID, I probably wouldn't have made it 2020 because nobody climbed in 2020. And I went back three weeks before um, the, the season opened um, and I summited. And I believe very strongly, Linda, that 2019 was not a success in itself. It was a success because of 2014, 2015, 2017 lessons that made it possible for someone like me to step on top of the world. One of the humbling moments in my life, one of the things that I remember thinking about is how my mother was wrong. The sky is not the limit. We can step above the clouds. We need to aim higher because we can. As women, as humans, as individuals, we can definitely step above the clouds. Oh, that is so beautiful. Thank you so much for sharing your passion, uh, your experience in such an honest, transparent way. And, you know, what a beautiful example of when you experience setbacks, not to give in to that sense of self-doubt, shame, uh, but instead face your fear, be courageous and attempt that second climb, that third climb. But that had to be so challenging. So what did you do during that period to redouble your efforts? What was some sort of mental framework or some sort of resolve that you use as a way to build your resilience and build your courage during that time? Yeah. So, so the, the biggest thing for me is, is partnerships. Any negative partnerships are just cut off. I surround myself with people that are going to make me better, that are going to give me constructive criticism you know, and, and, and it's, it's the same with climbing. If, if you're going to Everest, you have shapers that will take you up to Everest Base Camp. They're not necessarily the ones that are summit shapers. You know, you say goodbye, you know, and they wish you well, but you go with somebody else to the top of the world. So who are you surrounding yourself with? So I'm very deliberate now, unlike when I was younger, where I, I, I would feel guilty, but I've always been with this person and some level of loyalty. I am loyal to my goals. I am loyal to 
the difference that I want to leave in the world, knowing that I have no time. I'm loyal to making people around me better, you know, and learning from them. I surround myself with people that are stronger, that have crazy goals, you know, than I do. And I, and I pray that they also draw that positive energy from me. So that's something that I, I changed completely. I also don't dwell on the negatives. So we didn't summit, great. I'll cry about it, but I won't dwell in that. I also, I'll be obsessed about figuring out the lessons that I need to learn from that experience. Recognizing that I don't have time to actually waste, but I needed to go back stronger and better. I believe that we fell only when we fail to learn from the challenge. When we learn from the challenge and it makes us better people, that's a win. So there's always an opportunity to win, but we choose sometimes to not win. The other thing that's changed about me, which a lot of, especially women, I don't know, especially in Africa, I suppose, I, I, you would tell me your experience. When you succeed at something, you become almost apologetic about it. Like don't, don't yeah. celebrate too much. You know, you, you're now being a show off. No, I am not gonna apologize for my success. The same way I own my mistakes, I'm going to own and celebrate my wins. And I try and make, you know, divide Everest into pieces. 2019, I was excited about getting to camp one as if I had never been before. Excited about getting to camp two, camp three and the summit. It's those small celebrations that motivated me to move forward. But more importantly is understanding and knowing why you're doing what you're doing. Because climbing for me has become a lot more than just me going up there and taking a selfie. I am really, I've seen those children receive the library and giving them hope where I didn't have to. That fuels me, that I, I, I gain more than they do, uh, even though sometimes they don't believe that. And that gives me a reason to take that next step and the next step and, and break the barriers. Something that I didn't start with that has come in is representation. I feel like representation matters. It's unfortunate that when I rocked up in 2014, 90%, maybe 99% of the people in my team felt like I didn't belong. I want women like me, when they rock up to whatever male-dominated jobs, to be given the same benefit of the doubt that our male counterparts are given. And in a small way, I think I've been able to do that, to make another child dream that Everest is possible, stepping on top of the world is possible. And, and I know Everest is not for everybody. So whatever corner you're in, work as though the life of those that are coming behind you ah, is dependent on it. So yeah, exciting. Wow, that's so inspirational, Sarah. Thank you so much. And you you mentioned a couple of things that I think are so important. You said finding trustworthy, compassionate people around you who validate your feelings while supporting your ambitions can be um, really a, a key skill in helping you to become resilient. And then you also said that, you know, 
being able to set realistic goals and do something regularly, even if it feels like a small accomplishment, enables you to move forward with the things that you want to accomplish. So setting small achievable goals helps you move forward towards your objectives of taking on greater and greater challenges. And then you also talked about mindset, how you think can play a significant part in how you feel and how resilient you are when faced with obstacles really is a matter of mindset. So it can be helpful to identify areas of maybe irrational thinking um, or areas of self-doubt, areas of fear, and then really facing those fears head on. So beautiful. I feel like you've already given us so many pieces of leadership advice that are so applicable. No matter if we plan on summiting a mountain or if we plan on presenting in front of a board, uh, they're the same pieces of advice. Um, being able to change a highly stressful event can change based on how you interpret and respond to it. So. To wrap up today's conversation, I have one last question for you. Yeah. Sara, what is one piece of leadership advice that has made a really big impact on your success that you'd like to share with others? Well, the biggest one, which um, yeah, opened my world differently is focusing on my strengths. I don't focus on what I'm not great at. I focus on my strengths and hone in so that I am the best at what I'm strong at because the effort to actually perfect it is much less than me trying to focus on the, on the weaknesses. The other thing is to be a VIP in every space that I'm in. I am visible, I am intentional, I am present at every table that I find myself in. Yes, and I, I can attest to that. You are dynamic, you're charismatic, you are also humble and relatable and personable. And the combination of those things is so rare. When you find someone that you can relate to and you feel connected to and you're, you're struck by their humility, but you also recognize that they own both their triumphs, their achievements, their accomplishments, as well as their setbacks, their detours and their failures. And they do so proudly because, as you suggested, every failure is just a stepstone to another opportunity to learn and to grow and to advance. Sarah, as always, I tell you this privately, and now I get to say it publicly, you are absolutely one of the most inspirational leaders that I have had the good fortune of meeting and getting to know over the past year. And I'm so grateful. I'm so grateful our paths crossed. I'm so grateful to share in your incredible story. And I would tell everyone that's listening in Leadership Global, don't miss Sarah's amazing memoir, My Journey to the Top of the World. Do yourself a favor, give yourself a gift and buy this memoir. I, uh, myself, uh, I'm in the middle of reading it right now. And there's, there's not a time that I pick up that book where I'm not jaw-droppingly inspired, where I'm not brought to tears, where I'm not brought to phenomenal sort of insights and, and reflections of my own life. And so for that, I also want to say thank you. Thank you so much, Sarah. 
Thank you. Thank you for your time. It, uh, it was lovely speaking to you and thank you for the platform. I appreciate it. Absolutely. Thank you. Thank you for joining Leadership Global's award-winning podcast. As a member of Leadership Global, you have the opportunity to meet inspirational leaders, create lifelong friendships, and be surrounded by others who are invested in your success. Join our global community of inspiring women in leadership, women who will help you create greater levels of impact, support your personal and professional breakthroughs, and help you accelerate your success. Don't miss out on the opportunity to show up, speak up, and step up in your professional and your personal life. Find out how you can join us at leadhershipglobal.com. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.